that's my little surprise. In case you've been wondering, uh, Lindsay is my little surprise and gift for you. Now, was that... The rest of the crew from uh, Ocala, I don't like them at all. Uh, but Lindsay, uh, I've I just enjoyed for years, and, and as well as the others. Let's open with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the kindness that you've shown us all, that we are men and women who have been purchased with a price, that we are people who, um, uh, as undeserving as we are, we are nonetheless yours, because... Um, of what Christ has accomplished in our stead, that he lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. And now we come as your people to enjoy each other, to enjoy the mutuality of our uh, common Savior, and pray that the instruction tonight will be helpful and useful as we seek to grow in the knowledge and um, uh, conformity uh, of Jesus Christ. We ask it all, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we're a little bit behind tonight, but I don't think you mind. Um, uh, go back to Galatians chapter 4. Let me read you that one verse again, and then we're going to try to pick it apart. We've been, uh, we've been on this one verse for about six weeks, um, but we're back at it, and we've got another couple left, and then we'll, we'll move on. But um, it, of course, is found in the middle of a paragraph. That's not something that you should do very often, but, um, but that it, it's, it's, it's kind of pivotal, and thus, uh, we're, we're spending some time on it. But let me read it to you, again, knowing that it's in the middle of a paragraph. You got it? Verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, that's as far as we're going to... I mean, I, that's all I need to do right now is to introduce you to this whole thing. We want to go back um, and pick this little, this little one text apart. Now, let, let me begin by reminding you of, of a couple of things. Now, guys, um, you're going to get lost in all this if you, don't, if you don't remember a little bit about last week. You don't have to remember everything that was said about the cities of refuge, but, but what I did last week was try to use the cities of refuge and, and show you how they can be interpreted allegorically, like he says right here in the verse, Okay? So what I was trying to what all I was trying to do last week is show you something about interpreting an Old Testament event allegorically. Uh, not denying its historicity, there were such things as cities of refuge, but there was an allegorical uh, um, meaning uh, attached to it, and so you can't forget that because that's what he's doing here. He's going to take another Old Testament event. Names that, that are somewhat familiar to you. I think probably many of you recognize the name Hagar. We'll talk about her in a minute. But uh, he's taking an Old Testament event. Now, see, I took the cities of refuge and, and showed you that last week. He's taking another one. He's taking an event out of the Old Testament involving this Hagar. We'll come back to her in a minute. But he's interpreting it allegorically. So while you're sitting there listening, you're going to have to bounce back and forth between, okay, there's an allegorical thrust here uh, attached to an historical event, so you're going, to have to, you're going to have to gird up the loins of your mind, all right? The other thing that, that I want to say as, as we begin 
is that you cannot forget Paul's overall purpose in the book of Galatians. Gang, um, his point in the entire book of Galatians has to do with the doctrine of justification by faith. You remember in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where he talks about if anybody brings a different gospel to you other than the one I brought to you, remember that? Um, he's, He's trying to defeat and overturn the other gospel, which really isn't a gospel, he says. His whole focus in, in the book <coughs> of Galatians is this idea of grace versus law, faith versus works, sons versus slaves, sola fides, um, true gospel versus false gospel. That's what this book is about, gang. And he's still at it. He's still doing the same thing in this section of chapter 4. And so what he's going to do is he's going to take an Old Testament event and he's going to interpret it for you. Um, Well, I'm going to do some interpreting uh, of his interpreting. Um, He's going to interpret it allegorically. So you've got to keep those things in mind or you're just going (laughs) to... Don't do that. Think. Think with me, guys. Uh, Stay in here. Um, You'll you'll, you'll love this if you'll... um, if we somehow we can get it. All right, look at the verse. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. That's what we did last week. These women, what women? (laughs) These women are two covenants. What women are two covenants? Gang, the background of that statement is an Old Testament story that is found in Genesis 16, 17, and 21. So if you're going to understand this, you're going to have to understand this. You're going to have to understand the story in Genesis 16, 17, and 21 before you're ever going to make any sense out of what he's saying in 424. You with me? He's going to take an event out of 16, 17, and 21 of the book of Genesis... And he's going to use that story, and he's going to interpret it allegorically. He's going to say a real woman represents a covenant. That's an allegory, ladies and gentlemen. You get that. Oh, her name is Hagar. She represents a covenant. There's another woman involved. Her name is Sarah. She represents another covenant. Those are the two women. But it comes from a story in Genesis 16, 17, and 21. So, grab your little Bibles. And turn with me to Genesis 16, 17, and 21. Oh, I love to do this. I love, I love to tell Old Testament stories, first of all. Um, and then, uh, as we do, hopefully you'll see, well, I didn't see that before. Um, and that's the fun part, the discovery. Are you ready? Now, I'm in Genesis 16. All right, and I'm going to, and, and guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of race through here. You know, we try to quit at 7.15, but we'll probably go a little bit later because it's Lindsay's fault. Um, uh, um, uh, but anyway, uh, so to kind of stay with me, uh, I'm in Genesis 16, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I'm just going to tell you the story that's in it. And then if you need to go check my facts, you can go back when you go home tonight, and while you're watching the Olympics, you can mute the sound, and check and say, well, you look, look at there. Dr. Young got something right. <laughs> How about that? Uh, just stay with me, all right? I'm in, I'm, I'm in chapter 16. 
this is the story to which Paul is alluding all the way up in Galatians 4. And he's going to interpret this story allegorically. All right, stay with me. Look at it. We're in chapter 16. First thing you need to see is that Abraham is old. He's old and he's got no sons. You can see it in verse 1, and he's getting impatient. About that time, his wife, uh, this is uh, in verse 4, no, actually it's in verse 2, um, his wife comes to him and says, uh, listen, I've got this slave woman whose name is Hagar. Ooh, that's the one over in Galatians 4.24. I've got this slave woman, and, and, and uh, cultural norms allowed uh, you to um, you know, have children by your slaves, and they still be considered yours. So Sarah comes to Abraham and says, listen, I know, you know you're looking for a son and we ain't got one, so why don't you take my, my slave woman uh, from Egypt, you know, we brought her up from Egypt with us, why don't you take her and sleep with her and get, and get a son by, from, from her? Um, Abraham likes that suggestion. So um, he um, uh, pays a visit one night to Hagar's tent and impregnates her. Um, Hagar, realizing that she is, has conceived, this is in verse 4, she gets kind of uppity. Uh, she looked with contempt on her mistress. That's Sarah. She gets kind of uppity, and Sarah, in verse 5, is really ticked. Sarah doesn't like this idea that her, her slave uh, girl, Hagar, has now, and she didn't like that. So she says to Abraham, get rid of her, kick her out, run her off. And Abraham, being the strong leadership male that he is, acts horribly. And in verse 6, Abraham says to her, well, honey, you just do with her anything, any old thing you want to do with her. And so they run pregnant Hagar off. Now, you know what that's, you, you run them off out into the wilderness and what you're saying, why don't you just go on out there and die? You know? Isn't that a great thing for the patriarch Abraham? Oh, you, uh, uh, honey, whatever you say. It's fine. Uh, you want to kill this girl with child? Oh, that's okay. You just run her off. And so she, they run her off, and Sarah kicks her out of the, 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 the family. And, um, and Hagar is out in the wilderness, and God shows up. This is in um, verse 7. God meets her. Uh, in fact, the, the text says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Uh, an angel meets her and tells her, you go on back. I want you to return. So she goes back, and Ishmael is born to Abraham. And you'll notice in the last, uh, in verse 16, of chapter 16, we're told that Abraham is 86 years old. Now, gang, those little factoids are not told you so that you can say, oh, a senior citizen, ah, isn't that sweet? No, 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 ladies and gentlemen, this is very important that you understand that, that Abraham is 86 years old. I'll show you that in a minute. It's very important that you know he's 86 years old. All right, now that's chapter 16. You got it? Um, old, no son. How about Hagar? Okay, pregnant, um, uppity, get out. God meets her, go back. She comes back. She has the baby. They name him Ishmael. That's chapter 16. Now we come to chapter 17. 13 years later, okay? 13 years have transpired between 16 and 17. So, now, all of you math majors out there, 86 plus 13 equals, mm-hmm, nine, oh, see, see, Lindsay just livened y'all all up. You know, now you're, now you're answering questions. I mean, y'all are going to get carried away here in a minute. 
Um, <clears throat> Abraham is now 99 years old. Um, God shows up in the beginning parts of chapter 17, and he restates in verses 1 through 8, he restates, God restates his arrangement, which includes a land, which includes a son, and which includes descendants, and, and uh, you know, that's the arrangement. He restates that, that arrangement, and then he, um, beginning in verse 9, um, a covenant sign is introduced. Oh, boy, could we spend a lot of time on this. Uh, A covenant sign. The first covenant sign, ladies and gentlemen, you know what that was? Um, Circumcision. Everybody know what that is? Do I need to explain that to you? Okay, thank you. Um, uh, The the lady in the white top here said uh, no, so we're not going to go into it. Now, uh, this table over here would like for me to go into it, uh, but (coughs) this is the wild and crazy and and, uh, uh, fairly backslidden table. Um, uh, but we're not going to go into it. But the covenant sign, guys, is circumcision. Um, uh, now, gang, are you still awake? Um, God tells Abraham to apply the covenant sign to every male under his jurisdiction. Um, you know how many that was? Well, back in chapter 14, he had uh, 318 men that went to fight that war, remember? So there were at least, there are probably more by now, but there were at least 318 men who received the sign of circumcision. Yeah, uh, uh, allow me to get a little dig in here just for a second. Gang, the covenant sign was not about Abraham's dedication to God. It was about God's dedication to Abraham. Oh, guys, you don't know how important that is. Uh, Those of you who uh, are committed to infant dedications. Um, Now, this covenant sign is to be applied to eight-day-old males. It's in verse 12. So... If you're a male in Abraham's house, above eight days old, either born or bought, that's verse 13 and verse 23, you are to receive the sign of the covenant. Um, There is a distinction, an important distinction, I think, that is made in verse 7 between those with whom the covenant is established and those with whom uh, are just enjoying benefits and privileges of the covenant. Um, but I, I must hasten on, although it is, um, it's, uh, I would love to stay right here. All right, um, now gang, chapter 17. We're still there, beginning at verse 15. Now it's really getting big. In verse 15 and following, we get the reiteration of the promise of a son. Look at it. Um, Verse 21. um, uh, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. 
Now, gang, if you've been listening, now it's time to, to reap some, some benefits. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90, according to verse 18. That's important. Why is it important? It's important, you see, because this baby that they're going to have is going to be a miracle baby. Um, It's going to be a child according to promise. Because everybody knows that a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old don't make babies. If they produce a baby, in a a lot of ways, it's going to be a virgin birth. Because it's going to take a miracle to create this child in the womb of a 90-year-old impregnated by a 100-year-old. That's the point. God is going to accomplish his ends through the accomplishment of his promises, not through the accomplishment of some kind of man who sleeps with a slave. I'm not trying to um, um, cast aspersions on a piece of adultery. That's not what I'm saying. But the line of the promise is not going to come through Ishmael. Anybody can do that. I mean, um, we know how to make babies around here, don't we? But I'm not going to accomplish. My line of the, the line of the covenant is not going to go through a man produced by human effort. The line of the promise is going to go through this other son. That if he ever shows up at all, <laughs> it'll be a blessed miracle. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. If anything happens that is of eternal significance and value, it will come because God intervenes and produces something that a man could simply not produce on his own. It must happen through the child of the promise, not the child of flesh. Guys, um, um, keep going. We come to verses 23 to 27. All males are circumcised. And if you'll notice in verse 23, um, all males, I said 318. There's probably more than that. Um, but Ishmael, in verse 25, is also circumcised. Now get this, guys. Ishmael, 13 years old, receives the sign of the covenant. But is Ishmael included in the covenant? No. In fact, he becomes the father of another nation, which God had promised. Guess what that nation is? Everybody know that? That would be Islam. And yet he has the sign of the covenant. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you are sitting here tonight and you also have the sign of the covenant. It's called baptism now. 
but it doesn't assure anything about the status and the nature and the wealth or the health of your soul. Just to, inc- just to receive the covenant sign doesn't mean that you're a part of the covenant community. It just means that you've enjoyed some privileges as a result of being associated with the covenant community. Like hearing Lindsay sing tonight. That was a privilege. A privilege of being a part of the covenant community. But just because you've got that covenant sign, ladies and gentlemen, does not mean. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Ishmael had the covenant sign. And not only that, he was the son of Abraham. But not a part of the covenant intentions of God. Now, go over to chapter 21. In chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, Isaac is born. At eight days old, Isaac receives the covenant sign. It's in verse 4. Did Isaac understand what was happening to him? Of course not. Did that covenant sign save Isaac? No! Ladies and gentlemen, you've just heard the argument for why I baptize infants. Because Isaac was a part of a covenant community. And he had a covenant-keeping father. And he received the covenant sign. And I want to ask you this. When did God tell me to stop giving the covenant sign to the sons and daughters of covenant-keeping parents? When did he tell me to stop? He didn't. And so I... Keep giving that covenant sign. But but I digress. He's he's born. He's circumcised at eight days. And Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. Now, the plot thickens. At this point, um, Sarah, um, at verse 10, wants Hagar and Ishmael cast out. And they are. Verse 10. And they won't be the last, by the way. Abraham doesn't know what to do. This is my son, Ishmael. My wife wants him kicked out of the family. And God comes to Abraham and he says, Do it. Run him off. I'm going to make a great nation out of him. He does. It's called, it's called Islam. But they are not a part of the covenant intentions of a sovereign God. This, look at verse 13 of 21. Look at the language. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman. This son of the slave woman, God says, oh, he'll be a great nation. But he will not be a nation belonging to God's covenant intentions. Even though Ishmael was born to Abraham and was the firstborn, Isaac will take priority because you see, Isaac is the child of promise. Isaac is the result of God's doing. And Ishmael is the product 
of flesh. Man's doing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Paul's point in Galatians chapter 4. Gang, he says, these two women are two covenants. Remember the allegory? One, who is a slave woman, who produces the child by flesh, and human efforts, and human accomplishment, and human works. That's one covenant that will damn you. But then there's another covenant. And at the head of that new covenant is a child that was born by miracle. He was a child of promise. He was a child that was born because God intervened. He was a child that came into this world because I set aside all the laws of human nature so that I could keep and fulfill my promises to provide ultimately a Savior. And that Savior will be the ultimate fulfillment of all of those promises. But you are not going to be a part of the covenant community through toil and sweat and human effort. You become a part of the human of the covenant community through laying hold and grasping and believing in the promises that God has made us. All fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus Christ. Gang, let, let, me, let me just, I'm going to say this 19 different ways. Not that many. Um, you got the covenant of works, allegorically symbolized by Hagar and Ishmael. And you got the covenant of grace, allegorically symbolized by Isaac um, and his mother, Sarah. The question, ladies and gentlemen, is not who's your daddy. The question is, who's your mother? Is your mother a slave? Do you remember, ladies and gentlemen, that one of his whole themes in Galatians 4 is contrasting sons and slaves? Do you know what slave women produce? They produce slaves. Do you know what God produces when he fulfills his promise? He produces sons. Sons who are a part of the covenant family. You see, again, extending the allegory, not only is who is your mother, but how were you born? How are you, what do you point to as your entrance into the household of faith? Your, your efforts? Your performance? Your hard work? 
No, ladies and gentlemen, you're a slave to Sinai. How do people come into this covenant family? They get born by a miracle of God. It's called the rebirth. Saved people are the ones associated with promise, not flesh. They embrace what God does in fulfillment of his promises in Christ. Not what man can do without God. Any man can make a baby. It's Mosaic law equals old covenant equals flesh equals slave. Just like Hagar bore a son to Abraham who was not an heir, so Sinai, the law, works, does not produce true sons. Um, to try and become a son through human performance and human effort is that you try to stock up enough merit so, so that God will reward you on the basis of your record, not on the basis of Christ's record. Ishmael, the son of a slave woman, The whole point that Paul's making is that Sinai, the text goes on to talk about, she, she represents a mountain, she represents Sinai. Gang, the, um, the Sinaitic covenant is something that only produces slaves. The only, the only ones who are truly related to this God are the ones who are related to him. Because God brought them to life through the miracle of regeneration. Um, The people who belong to this God are the ones who are wholly resting on his fulfilled promise in Christ and the promises contained associated with with Christ's completed work. Gang, that's his point. That's the point of Galatians 4.24. It's going to get ready. It's going to go further. He's going to extend the allegory. But in essence, what he's trying to compare is an Old Testament story where two women had babies, both received the covenant sign, but only one was the one through whom God kept his ultimate covenant promises in Christ. And which one was that? Not, 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 the, not one of, of human effort, but the one who came as the completion of a promise. I said this Sunday, I'll say it again, I'll quit. He keeps all his promises, the little ones and the big ones. But this, ladies and gentlemen, is a big one. Our Father, I pray that you will use some of this vain babbling to um, capture the imagination of your people. Might they see the great beauty of the gospel in this, this apostolic genius on the part of Paul who is taking this Old Testament story and is, and is illustrating the gospel even through it in his determination to silence the foolishness 
of this other gospel that really isn't a gospel, a gospel of works that does nothing but produce slaves. The real one, the one that you find so so beautifully described by the Apostle Paul, is the one that produces sons. Sons, made sons, through a miracle birth, when you exchanged our heart of stone and replaced it with the heart of flesh. Oh God, might, um, might you get glory from a bunch of undeserving people who have been the objects of your sovereign grace, bringing us to life with absolutely no contribution offered on our parts. We bless you, O God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name and for his sake.